Hello. Welcome to Silicon Valley Podcast by Vela Wood. This is Kevin Vela. With me here is Aaron. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Aaron and I are attorneys at Vela Wood, VW. We're a law firm based in Dallas. You can find us at VelaWoodLaw.com. Now, through the years, VW has represented thousands of startups and small businesses around the world. Thousands, Aaron, you think? Sure. Sure, why not? I'll allow it. Close to it. And we're excited to pass along our experience. You know, we've been watching Silicon Valley. Aaron and I are big fans. And we think that we can relate our experience to what's going on on the show. Make sure check to check out VentureGlossary.com. It's another website we have. It has definitions and examples of all the buzzwords used in Silicon Valley and the real venture world. With this podcast, we review every episode of Silicon Valley, every episode starting with this season moving forward. We had designs on doing every, every episode in the past. I didn't quite uh, get there. We could still do it. We can still do it. Yeah, one day we'll get to it. And describe to you how it applies to your startup, you know, the startup community as a whole. So today we're talking about episode four, season one. The first thing I want to point out about episode four, episode one, season four. If we were just randomly doing episode four, season one. Yeah, just start in the middle. Okay. Anywhere. Episode one of season four. You know, the first thing I want to point out, there was a new entrant into the opening screen. Yeah. Did you catch that, Aaron? I did. Big fan. Yeah, so they threw Slack in there. Uh, I haven't checked. I'm guessing Slack is a unicorn by conventional standards. You can go to VentureGlossary.com and check that out. But usually Unicorn is a company that has at least a billion-dollar billion dollar valuation. So Slack, we're big fans of Slack, big users. They're not paying us for this promotion. I highly encourage you to check it out, but I thought that was cool. If they wanted to pay us to talk about it, we're we, open we, to we'd, it. we'd be happy if they're to. they're listening. Yeah. Right. Uh, I didn't take a close look. That's the only one. You know, I know you caught that. Uh, I wonder if anyone else made it. But let's get into the episode. Now, we will try to review the episode and talk about the show in general. So hopefully people who aren't really into startups can still follow along. But really our intent is to relate this to the startup world. So the first thing, I think the first big thing that they talked about in the episode was, uh, you know, the first from a startup perspective was when Ehrlich was talking to Bigetti or Ehrlich mentioned to the other founders that they were trying to recap the company. Aaron, you know, when they say recap the company, what are they talking about? Uh, recapitalize it, basically sort of shift around the ownership and, and you know, maybe you know, one class of stock is going to um, take a 10 for one and another class of stock is maybe going to get crammed down or, you know, just, you know, reallocating ownership of the company. Yeah, reallocating. I don't remember if they had discussed this at the end of the last season, but we find out that ownership of the company is currently, what is it, 50% to... Um, Ehrlich to, to is no, it's not. No, currently it was thirty percent to Ehrlich, thirty percent to Bigetti, and I believe no, was it fifty to his dad? So what was the ownership? Do you remember? In this episode, yeah, I thought it was. No, no, that's what they're going to get to. Oh, oh, oh. But what was the ownership that we start? I don't even know if they said. I don't know. Okay, well, I, I think you could probably do the math and figure it out. But anyways, Ehrlich and Bigetti are talking. Uh, they're having a board meeting with Richard. Not there interestingly enough, right. maybe because he's not recapitalizing any of his ownership. I think he has 25%. Uh, we, this we uncovered at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the show. So Richard's not there, but they're talking to Bigetti because Bigetti has a board seat, which looks like it's been allocated to Bigetti's father. Mr. Bigetti. Mr. Bigetti. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that in a second. Big, you know, he also goes by Big Head. And then Ehrlich, and they're trying to reallocate their shares to get Dinesh, Guilfoyle, and... Uh, Jared. Say, Jared, thank you. And Jared, some ownership in the company. Pretty typical thing. Now, we do this all the time. We have these conversations with founders all the time. 
early on in the company when it doesn't have a lot of value, it's pretty easy to shuffle interest around, right? Right. right. Uh, as the company starts to get more value, it's more and more difficult to do that because you have to have consideration for moving that value back and forth. So to put it shortly, early stages, the company's not worth a whole lot, at least in you know to the IRS or in book value, very easy to move these shares around. Later stage when the company has value, which has gone through funding, which it has some revenues, very, very difficult to do that. But I think it's appropriate for them to recapitalize the company at this point in time, given where the company is. And also, I don't see any problems with them doing that from kind of a tax or consideration standpoint. No, and, and that, you know, I think you, you, I don't know if you addressed it head on, but tax is a really big issue, especially, you know, when you're trying to shuffle the ownership of a company that has some value. I feel like that's where we're a wet blanket a lot because yeah. the owners come in and they say, hey, we've worked this out. We want to do this. You know, I had a call with a with a client a couple of days ago and she said, well, me and my partner are doing this. And if it doesn't work out, then we'll just change the ownership down the road. And you really can't do that. In limited instances, you can. It is very complex to do so. So it's really best if you've got the ownership worked out up front. Now, again, Early on in the company's life cycle, if you're not really worth a lot, you might have been around for a year, you haven't gone through any significant changes, you haven't had significant financing rounds, you don't have revenues coming in, sure, you can reshuffle it. But once there's value there in the company, it gets very, very difficult to do that. We have to have a lot of conversations with clients who come in and just want to say, well, I want to give him 10%, give him 5%. You can't always do that. So anyway, they're recapitalizing the company. I thought it was great the way they did it, and that was kind of a, a thread throughout the entire show, but I don't have any problems with the way they were doing it. Um, another term I want to point out that they used actually before the intro or before the uh, opening scene or the uh, introductory scene was uh, they mentioned they were at 120,000 DAUs. Mm -hmm. DAUs is daily active users. That's how many people are actively using the uh, app or their video chat app every day. 120,000 DAUs is pretty impressive. Uh, they said they're growing 18% week over week. Again, that is astronomical growth. They referenced that that was faster than Facebook grew in its infancy. It may or may not be. I don't know. I haven't checked the math, but I haven't checked the numbers. That sounds about right. Those, that's the kind of growth you see for a for a early stage company that's just going through hyper growth. You know, they might be growing by 100% every month, something like that. Eventually, they'll get to such a critical mass that it's impossible to do that. But for now, they seem to be growing quickly. So those are kind of some of the early terms or you know venture terms Aaron that I thought that they used I felt like there were three threads going on in this story as you know from kind of a plot perspective and I think there was a one or two other interesting points I want to make from a startup perspective so let's talk about kind of the plot and where they're going with this I really enjoyed this episode I thought it was, I thought it was really funny I don't remember the last ones I always thought them remember them being funny and crass I thought this one was really funny I thought the the writing was done really well. I like the way that they set up a couple of different threads here, right? So we've got this whole uh, Richard leaving to go start his own company. We've got what the company's doing and that they're going to pursue, uh, you know, Piper uh, Piper Chat with a new CEO in place. And you've got this Gavin Belson versus Jack Barker thing. And Gavin's always, you know, Hooley's always kind of like one of the minor threads throughout the story. But they've brought in a character I think everyone likes in Jack Barker, right? So you're pitting a character which no one likes in Gavin Belson versus a character that everyone seems to like and see how they do that. I can't imagine that a person of Jack Barker's stature would walk down, would sit for one second in that chair. No. I mean, if he, if he has the uh, the gusto and the uh, bravado right. to have the, the private plane drop him off in Jackson Hole first, exactly. he's not going to take his box of stuff down to the basement. So I thought that was a little difficult to swallow, but... 
I think that'll be an interesting thread. So the the way that Richard gets to breaking off from the company and walking away from the company, this is something interesting that we see all the time. And it's because Richard wants to focus on the product or really his vision or his dream, and the company wants to focus on growth. You know, what do you see here? I, I mean, it, it's, it's the founder syndrome. The founder cares more about the product and the baby and, you know, making it perfect and getting it to be exactly what they want it to be. Um, and I think, you know, you get the investors on the outside that, you know, are happy with the product where it is or the service where it is. And, you know, they, they have enough traction where they can sort of take off. And, and now they want to start focusing on, you know, driving users and, you know, increasing the adoption rate. I thought that the example they gave that they had all spent, you know, all the developers had spent two days working on the compression, minimizing the use of server space, then Richard spends two days doing something that no one's going to notice, other than Richard, right? right. And it's yeah. obvious that he's a real technophile. It's obvious that he's very gifted within the show. And he did something that he thought was amazing. And realistically, the vast majority of the users would never notice it. And again, that's an issue that we see is sometimes the founders get so stuck on their vision and perfection that they're not out there taking it to market and then trying to focus on growth because growth is ultimately going to lead to revenues. Now, this particular company where they stay in now, Piper Chat or Pied Piper, you know, being uh, going as or with the assumed name of Piper Chat, they don't currently have any funding in place and they're trying to get funding and they're going around town. You know, they have the the comical way in that Richard picks up a VC guy by uh, by stalking him out. Pretending to be his Uber his driver. Uber driver, right. And I like how he offered in the water because I think, you know, a good <laughs> Uber driver. Interesting that they did use Uber. Right. Right. And right. not Lyft. Yeah. With all the negative wonder if that's a little. wonder if that's some SponCon. I I was thinking that exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Is is Uber to have some sort of partnership with them because it seems that people are trying to stay away from Uber right now. Right. Um, that's why we don't represent Uber, right? Yeah, no, I think that's definitely right. It's they, one of the reasons that they yeah. called us. Well, I mean, they might have. We probably right. missed the call. Yeah, but uh, so I thought that was comical and that was neat how they got there and you know the sort of stories you hear about people trying to get in front of VCs. I also thought it was interesting that VC, you know, says pull over, get me the heck out of this car, and it says, well, if you get to a million users, call right, me, right, because the VC still if they see a hot product, they want to be involved right. in a hot product. Yeah. But focusing on product versus growth, I think a lot of companies go through these things. This is why you have a board, whether your board is composed of, you know, a couple of investors, while you're investor-led. These are the sort of decisions that need to be made at a much higher level than just an individual, right? What the core focus of the company is be. Early on, sure, the founder's vision. But realize, you know, a founder, it's your job to get the company to a certain level, hopefully to take it beyond that level. But once you get to a certain point, then you got to rely on the other people in the room. That's why you bring this wisdom into the room. That's why you have advisors, why you have board members. If you're not going to listen to those guys, then what's the point? Yeah, I mean, if, if you are uh, capable of, of – Thinking it of thinking about something from every angle, that's great. Fantastic. But nobody right. can do that. No one could. I yeah. 100% agree. For those of you know, for our clients out there, we really do believe in group wisdom. To the extent possible, you want to keep the board company controlled for as long as possible. However, if you're bringing in good board members and they don't necessarily agree with you, 
then maybe you need to rethink your position or at least give their position some serious consideration. And, and this isn't every single decision that needs to be made like this. Yeah. It's, it's the fundamental big-time decisions that you know are going to radically alter or um, focus. So let's use that every decision to segue into the unruly board member, mm-hmm. right? So you've got Mr. Bigetti, Big Head's dad, who's basically just saying, Ehrlich, I just want to see you fail. I think this company's already done. I don't really care about the success of this company. I don't think it's going anywhere. So I'm going to do whatever I can to make you fail. Now, that is not a board member that you want. No. Right? <laughs> that is not the kind of constructive criticism that you want to get from your board. And we do get clients who, who get board members. They just go sideways with them. And it seems that the board is just complete. That board member is just completely contrary to everything that the founder wants to do. Yeah, but you also wouldn't, I mean, I would think that you wouldn't ever see a board member who would outright say, I just want to see you fail because, you know, board members have a fiduciary yeah, duty that, to the stockholders. I agree. That's a good point. That's probably a breach. And I wonder at some point in time if one of the if one of the other guys, well, I don't know. Now that Richard's gone, I don't know if that changes anything with the dynamic and they're going to focus on the chat. It seems like the father is really focused on Ehrlich, right? So that's a good point, Aaron. It's something to watch if anyone ever brings that up. One of the other VC guys or one of the other, you know, maybe – Dinesh or Guilfoyle gets this information from another founder who says, hey, that board or their lawyer, right? right? That board member is not acting in the best interest of the company. Which leads me to another point. When you get serious founders or, or uh, experienced founders, they know a lot of this stuff. You yeah. know, our guys, our founders have done this time and time again. They understand a lot of the legal ramifications of how a board works, how a board should be constructed. So we'll be curious to see if they do that. But for those of you out there listening, if you have an unruly board member, uh, nip that thing in the bud, man, because, you know, board members, a lot of times their terms expire after a year. Maybe it's even longer. Maybe their term won't expire until the next f- funding round comes in. And there's a difference between constructive criticism or someone who's taken an opposite position but uh, projecting it or expressing it in a positive way, which I think can be very healthy for a company, versus someone who just doesn't like you and, you know, is just going to try to down downgrade or you know, be contrary to everything you want to do. The last, uh, there was one more issue I wanted to focus on. Oh, that was just the the dynamic between Gavin and Jack. And we talked about that a little bit. But I want to talk about the relationship between Gavin and Jack from a professional standpoint. I don't think they've told us. So Jack is the product head of the new... The box. Of the new, of the box. But interesting to know, even though Jack has done all these great things, Jack has this tremendous resume he's been very successful he just closed this huge deal in china the ceo wants to say nope that's not for you then you know go down to the first floor realistically aaron if you represent jack because an executive like that's going to have an attorney Mm -hmm. and you find out that this just happened what's that what's going to happen after that well i think you know you want to just first of all talk to your client figure out you know what's the backstory and then figure out, okay, what documents do we have in place? What's been executed? How can we sort of um, rectify this situation? You know, is does my client have, um, you know, something in his employment agreement that says, you know, if he's demoted to, you know, this other position and, you know, he doesn't agree with it, then, you know, he has some sort of way to, um, you know, talk it out. That's exactly what I was thinking. A guy of Jack's stature, most likely his employment agreement would not allow a demotion of that kind. Right. He could accept it, but he most likely would have an employment agreement that he could walk out on it, get some sort of outrageous severance package, right. and move on to the next I thing. also thought it was interesting to see, you have Gavin, who's the CEO of uh, you know, a huge company, 
who sort of has some, you know, he gets a bee in his bonnet and he really wants to focus in on that. But then you also have somebody like Richard, who's the CEO or, or, or co-founder of a very small company, who also gets a bee in his bonnet. He wants to improve the image quality. And then he goes and tries to track that down. And you have two, you know, two guys in power that are in very different stage companies, but they still both, you know, once they get focused on something, they're so going to So maybe that, that's, a, that's a great point, Aaron. And maybe that's they're trying to show this is a characteristic of some founders, right? This OCD. Right. So they get compulsive or obsessive and compulsive about a certain thing. Gavin with being right about the flight times. Right. And then Richard about, you know, this um, improved image quality that no one ever cares about. And maybe those are going to end up being their fatal flaws, right? right? We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what their storyline has been like. Uh, I feel that Richard, they have portrayed him as someone who has been, you know, brilliant technically, socially awkward, uh, hasn't been the best at investor relations. The only guy he seems to really get along with is Russ, maybe the most offensive character in a show full of offensive characters. Right. You know, That's and, saying and, a lot. Yeah. And then Gavin has these weird tendencies which have – Despite the fact that Hooli, as a company, might be doing really well or might be, you know, the most uh, impressive company in the world, Gavin doesn't seem happy himself, right? He doesn't seem like he's a happy person, despite the fact that he probably has everything at his at his fingertips. So anyway, those are my thoughts on episode one of season four. Maybe right. next time we'll talk about episode, episode four, four of season, season one. one. Yeah. I don't know how many people are curious to listen to that one. Uh, you got any other closing thoughts on this one, Aaron? I got nothing. All right, so that's our review of Episode 1, Season 4 of Silicon Valley. Go to our blog, VelaWoodLaw.com. You'll find show notes for the podcast. We'll have a link to it. We'll have some of the terms that we used, a link back to Venture Glossary, maybe some other helpful content you'd be interested in. Again, check out VentureGlossary.com for definition examples of the buzzwords used in Silicon Valley. And then... I want to encourage you, if you have any questions or thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. Aaron will check that regularly. We'll get back to you. I will. Oh, my baby.